Five on Finiston Farm by Enid Blyton, read by Sarah Green. Chapter One. The five are all together again. Phew! Said Julian, mopping his wet forehead. What a day! Let's go and live at the equator. It would be cool compared to this. He stood leaning on his bicycle, out of breath, with a long, steep ride up a hill. Dick grinned at him. You're out of training, Jew. He said. Let's sit down for a bit and look at the view. We're pretty high up. They leaned their bicycles against a nearby gate and sat down, their backs against the lower bars. Below them spread the Dorset countryside, shimmering in the heat of the day, the distance almost lost in a blue haze. A small breeze came wandering round, and Julian sighed in relief. I'd never have come on this biking trip if I'd guessed it was going to be as hot as this. He said. Good thing Anne didn't come; she'd have given up the first day. George wouldn't have minded," said Dick. "She's game enough for anything." Good old Georgina," said Julian, shutting his eyes. "I'll be glad to see the girls again. Fun to be on our own, of course, but things always seem to happen when the four of us are together." Five, you mean," said Dick, tipping his cap over his eyes. "Don't forget old Timmy. What a dog! Never knew one that had such a wet lick as Tim." I say, won't it be fun to meet them all? Don't let's forget the time, Julian. Hey, wake up, stupid! If we go to sleep now, we won't be in time to meet the girls' bus. Julian was almost asleep. Dick looked at him and laughed. Then he looked at his watch and did a little calculating. It was half past two. Let's see now. Anne and George will be on the bus that stops at Finiston Church at five past three. He thought. Finiston is about a mile away down this hill. I'll give old Julian fifteen minutes to have a nap, and hope to goodness I don't fall asleep myself. He felt his own eyes closing after a minute, and got up at once to walk about. The two girls and Tim must be met because they would have suitcases with them, which the boys planned to wheel along on their bicycles. The five were going to stay at a place called Finiston Farm, set on a hill above the little village of Finiston. None of them had been there before, nor even heard of it. It had all come about because George's mother had heard from an old school friend, who had told her that she was taking paying guests at her farmhouse, and had asked her to recommend visitors to her. George had promptly said she would like to go there with her cousins in the summer holidays. Hope it's a good place, thought Dick, gazing down into the valley where cornfields waved in the little breeze. Anyway, we shall only be there for two weeks, and it will be fun to be together again. He looked at his watch. Time to go. He gave Julian a push. Hey, wake up! Another ten minutes, muttered Julian, trying to turn over as if he were in bed. He rolled against the gate bars and fell onto the hard, dry earth below. He sat up in surprise. Gosh, I thought I was in bed. He said, "I could have gone on sleeping for hours." Well, it's time to go and meet that bus," said Dick. "I've had to walk about all the time you were asleep. I was so afraid I'd go off myself." Come on, Julian. We really must go. They rode down the hill, going cautiously round the sharp corners, remembering how many times they had met herds of cows, wide farm carts, tractors, and the like on their way through this great farming county. 
Ah, there was the village at the bottom of the hill. It looked old and peaceful and half asleep. Thank goodness it sells ginger beer and ice cream, said Dick, seeing a small shop with a big sign in the window. I feel as if I want to hang up my tongue like Timmy does. I'm so thirsty. Let's find the church and the bus stop, said Julian. I saw a spire as we rode down the hill, but it disappeared when we got near the bottom. There's the bus, said Dick, as he heard the noise of wheels rumbling along in the distance. Look, here it comes. We'll follow it. There's Anne in it. And George, look, shouted Julian. We're here exactly on time. Hey, George! The bus came to a stop by the old church, and out jumped Anne and George, each with a suitcase, and out leapt old Timmy too, his tongue hanging down, very glad to be out of the hot, jerky, smelly bus. There are the boys, shouted George, and waved wildly as the bus went off again. Julian! Dick! I'm so glad you're here to meet us! The two boys rode up and jumped off their bikes, while Timmy leapt round them, barking madly. They thumped the girls on their backs and grinned at them. Just the same old couple, said Dick. You've got a spot on your chin, George. And why on earth have you tied your hair into a ponytail, Anne? You're not very polite, Dick, said George, bumping him with her suitcase. I can't think why Anne and I looked forward so much to seeing you again. Here, take my suitcase. Haven't you any manners? Plenty, said Dick, and grabbed the case. I just can't get over Anne's new hairdo. I don't like it, Anne. Do you, Jew? Ponytail? A donkey tail would suit you better, Anne. It's all right. It's just because the back of my neck was so hot, said Anne, shaking her hair free in a hurry. She hated her brothers to find fault with her. Julian gave her arm a squeeze. Nice to see you both, he said. What about some ginger beer and ice cream? There's a shop over there that sells them, and I've a sudden longing for nice juicy plums. You haven't said a word to Timmy yet, said George, half offended. He's been trotting round you and licking your hands, and he's so dreadfully hot and thirsty. Shake paws, Tim, said Dick. And Timmy politely put up his right paw. He shook hands with Julian, too, and then promptly went mad, careering about and almost knocking over a small boy on a bicycle. Come on, Tim. Want an ice cream, said Dick, laying his hand on the big dog's head. Hark at him, panting, George. I bet he wishes he could unzip his hairy coat and take it off, don't you, Tim? Woof, said Tim, and slapped his tail against Dick's legs. They all trooped into the ice cream shop. It was half dairy, half baker's. A small girl of about ten came to serve them. Mum's lying down, she said. What can I get you? Ice creams, I suppose. That's what everyone wants today. You supposed right, said Julian. A large one each, please. Five in all, and four bottles of ginger pop as well. Five ice creams? Do you want one for that dog, then? said the girl in surprise, looking at Timmy. Woof, he said at once. There you are, said Dick. He said yes. Soon the five were eating their cold ice creams, Timmy licking his from a saucer. Before he had had many licks, the ice cream slid from the saucer, and Timmy chased it all the way round the shop as it slid away from his vigorous licks. The little girl watched him, fascinated. I must apologise for his manners, said Julian solemnly. He hasn't been very well brought up. He at once had a glare from George and grinned. He opened his bottle of ginger beer. Nice and cold, he said. Here's a happy fortnight to us all. He drank half the glass at top speed and set it down with a great sigh. Well, blessings on the person who invented ice cream, ginger pop and the rest, he said.
I'd rather invent things like that any day than rockets and bombs. Ha! I feel better now. What about you others? Do you feel like going to find the farm? Whose farm? asked the little girl, coming out from behind the counter to pick up Timmy's saucer. Timmy gave her a large, wet and loving lick as she bent down. Ooh, she said, pushing him away. He licked all down my face. Probably thought you were an ice cream, said Dick, giving her his hanky to wipe her cheek. The farm we want is called Finiston Farm. Do you know it? Oh, yes, said the little girl. You go down the village street, right to the end, and turn up the lane there, up to the right. The farmhouse is at the top of the lane. Are you staying with the Philpots? Yes. Do you know them? asked Julian, getting out some money to pay the bill. I know the twins there, said the girl. The two Harrys. At least, I don't know them well. Nobody does. They're just wrapped up in each other. They never make any friends. You look out for their old great-granddad. He's a one, he is. He once fought a mad bull and knocked it out. And his voice, you can hear it for miles. I was real scared of going near the farm when I was little, but Mrs Philpot, she's nice, you'll like her. The twins are very good to her, and to their dad too. Work like farmhands all the holidays. You won't know t'other from which they're so alike. Why did you call them the two Harrys, asked Anne curiously. Oh, because they've both began the child and then broke off as a plump woman came bustling into the shop. Janie, you go and see to the baby for me. I'll see to the shop now. Run along. Away went the small girl, scuttling through the door. Little gas bag, she is, said her mother. Anything more you want? No, thanks, said Julian, getting up. We must go. We're to stay at Finiston Farm, so we may be seeing you again soon. We like the ice creams. Oh, so you're going there, are you? said the plump woman. I wonder how you'll get on with the Harrys. And keep out of Grandad's way. He's over eighty, but he can still give a mighty good thumping to anyone who crosses him. The five went out into the hot sun again. Julian grinned round at the others. Well, shall we go and find the nice Mrs Philpot, the unfriendly Harrys, whoever they might be, and the fearsome great Grandad? Sounds interesting, doesn't it? Chapter 2 Finiston Farm The four children, with Timmy trotting beside them, walked down the hot, dusty village street until they came to the end, and then saw the lane turning off to the right, just as the little girl had told them. Wait a minute, said Anne, stopping at a curious little shop at the end of the village street. Look, here's an interesting shop. It sells antiques. Look at those old horse brasses. I'd like to get one or two of those. And just see those lovely old prints. Oh, no, not now, Anne, said Julian with a groan. This awful craze of yours for second-hand shops has been going on too long. Horse brasses, you've got stacks of them already. If you think we're going to go into that dark, smelly little shop and... Oh, I'm not going in now, said Anne hurriedly. But it does look rather exciting. I'll come back by myself sometime and browse round. She glanced at the name on the shop front. William Finiston. How funny to have the same name as the village. I wonder if... Oh, come on, said George impatiently. And Timmy tugged at her skirt. Anne gave one backward glance at the fascinating little shop window and hurried after the others, making up her mind to slip down to the shop one day when she was alone. They all went up the little winding lane, where red poppy heads jigged about in the breeze, and after a while they came in sight of the farmhouse. 
It was a big one, three stories high, with whitewashed walls and the rather small windows belonging to the age in which it was built. Old-fashioned red and white roses rambled over the porch and the old wooden door stood wide open. The five stood on the scrubbed stone entrance, looking into the dim hall. An old wooden chest stood there, and a carved chair. A rather threadbare rug lay on the stone floor, and a grandfather clock ticked slowly and loudly. Somewhere, a dog barked, and Timmy at once barked back. Woof! Woof! Be quiet, Timmy, said George sharply, afraid that a horde of farm dogs might come rushing out. She looked for a bell or a knocker, but couldn't see either. Then Dick spotted a beautiful wrought-iron handle hanging down from the roof of the porch. Could it be a bell? He pulled it, and at once a bell jangled very loudly somewhere in the depths of the farmhouse, making them all jump. They stood in silence, waiting for someone to come. Then they heard footsteps, and two children came up the hallway. They were exactly alike. The most twinny twins I've ever seen, thought Anne in amazement. Julian smiled his friendliest smile. Good afternoon. I, uh, I hope you're expecting us. The twins stared at him without a smile. They nodded together. Come this way, they both said, and marched back down the hall. The four stared at one another in surprise. Why so stiff and haughty, whispered Dick, putting on a face exactly like the twins. Anne giggled. They all followed the twins, who were dressed exactly alike in navy jeans and navy shirts. They went right down the long hall, past a stairway, round a dark corner, and into an enormous kitchen, which was obviously used as a sitting room as well. The Kirins, mother, said the twins together, and at once disappeared through another door, shoulder to shoulder. The children found themselves facing a pleasant-looking woman, standing by a table, her hands white with flour. She smiled and then gave a little laugh. Oh, my dears, I didn't expect you quite so soon. Do forgive my not being able to shake hands with you, but I was just making scones for your tea. I'm so pleased to see you. Did you have a good journey here? It was nice to hear her welcoming voice and see her wide smile. The five warmed to her at once. Julian put down the suitcase he was carrying and looked round the room. What a lovely old place, he said. You carry on with your scone-making, Mrs Philpot. We'll look after ourselves. Just tell us where to go. It's nice of you to have us. I'm glad to, said Mrs Philpot. I expect your aunt told you the farm's not doing too well, and she kindly said she'd send you here for two weeks. I've some other boarders too, an American and his son, so I'm pretty busy. Well, you don't need to bother too much about us, said Dick. In fact, we'll camp out under a haystack if you like, or in a barn. We're used to roughing it. Well, that might be a help, said Mrs Philpot, going on with her mixing. I've a bedroom that would do for the girls all right, but I'm afraid you boys would have to share one with the American boy, and, uh, well, you mightn't like him. Oh, I expect we'll get on all right, said Julian, but my brother and I would certainly prefer to be by ourselves, Mrs Philpot. What about putting up camp beds or something in a barn? We'd love that. Anne looked at Mrs Philpot's kind, tired face and felt suddenly sorry for her. How awful to have to have your home invaded by strangers, whether you like them or not. She went over to her. You tell Georgina and me anything you'd like us to do to help, she said. You know, 
making the beds and dusting and things like that. We're used to doing things at home, and... I'm going to enjoy having you, said Mrs Philpot, looking round at them all. And you won't need to help very much. The twins do a great deal. Too much, I think, bless them, because they help on the farm, too. Now, you go up the stairs to the very top of the house, and you'll see two bedrooms, one on each side of the landing. The left-hand one is yours, girls. The other is where the American boy is sleeping. And as for you two boys, you can slip out to the barn and see if you'd like a couple of camp beds there. I'll get the twins to take you. The twins came back at this minute and stood silently, shoulder to shoulder, as alike as peas in a pod. George looked at them. What's your name, she said to one twin. Harry, was the answer. She turned to the other. And what's yours? Harry. But surely you don't have the same name, exclaimed George. Well, you see, explained their mother, we called the boy Henry, and he became Harry, of course. We called the girl Harriet, and she calls herself Harry for short, so they're known as the Harrys. I thought they were both boys, said Dick in amazement. I wouldn't know which is which. Well, they felt they have to be alike, said Mrs Philpot, and as Harry can't have long hair like a girl, Harriet has to have shorter hair to be like Harry. I very often don't know one from the other myself. Dick grinned. Funny how some girls want to be boys, he said with a sly glance at George, who gave him a furious look. Twins, show the Kirins up to the top bedroom, said Mrs Philpot, and then take the boys out to the big barn. They can have the old camp beds if they like the look of the barn. We sleep out there, said the Harrys, both together, and scowled, just like George. Well, you shouldn't, said their mother. I told you to take your mattresses to the little room off the dairy. It's too stuffy, said the twins. Hang on, we don't want to cause trouble, said Julian, feeling that the twins were too unfriendly for words. Can't we sleep in the room off the dairy? Certainly not, said Mrs Philpot, and sent the Harrys a warning glance. There's room for you all in the big barn. Go on now, twins. Do as I tell you. Take the four up to the top bedroom with the cases and then out to the barn. The twins went to pick up the suitcases, still looking mutinous. Dick interposed himself between them and the cases. We'll carry them, he said stiffly. We don't want to be any more trouble to you than we can help. And he and Julian picked up a suitcase each and set off after the Harrys, who looked suddenly surprised. George followed with Timmy, more amused than cross. Anne went to pick up a spoon that Mrs Philpot had dropped. Thank you, dear, said Mrs Philpot. Look, don't get upset by the twins. They're a funny pair, but good at heart. They just don't like strangers in their home, that's all. Promise you won't mind them. I do want you to be happy here. Anne looked at the kindly, tired face of the woman beside her and smiled. We'll promise not to worry about the twins if you'll promise not to worry about us, she said. We can look after ourselves, you know. Honestly, we're used to it. And please, do tell us when you want anything done. She went out of the room and up the stairs. The others were already in one of the two bedrooms at the top of the house. It was a fairly big room, whitewashed, with rather a small window and boarded floors. Julian looked at the boards he was standing on. I say... Look at the wood this floor's made of. Solid old oak, worn white with the years. This farmhouse must be very old. And look at the beams running across the walls and into the roof. Hey, twins, 
This is a wonderful old house. The twins unbent enough to nod in time together. Seems as if you two go by clockwork. You speak the same words at the same time. You walk in time. You nod your heads in time, said Dick. But I say, do you ever smile? The twins looked at him with dislike. Anne nudged Dick. Stop it, Dick. Don't tease them. Perhaps they'd show you the barn now. We'll unpack some clean things we've brought for you in our case and come down with them when we're ready. Right, said Dick, and he and Julian went out of the room. Opposite, with its door open, was the other room, where the American boy slept. It was so very untidy that Dick couldn't help exclaiming, Gosh, how does he get his room into all that mess? He and Julian went down the stairs, and Dick turned back to see if the Harrys were following. He saw them standing at the top, each shaking a furious fist at the door of the American boy's room, and what a furious look on their faces too. Phew, thought Dick. The Harrys have got some sort of grudge against him. Let's hope they don't get one for us too. Well, now for the barn, he said aloud. Don't go so fast, Jew. Wait for the twins. They're just falling over themselves to look after us. Chapter 3 Out in the Barn The twins stalked out of the farmhouse and took the two boys round the dairy shed and up to an enormous barn. One of them pushed open the great door. I say, said Julian, gazing into the dark barn. I never saw such a great barn in all my life. It's as old as the hills. Look at those beams soaring up to the roof. It reminds me of a cathedral somehow. I wonder why they built the roof so high. What do you store in here, twins? Sacks of meal, said the Harrys together, opening and shutting their mouths as one. The two boys saw a couple of camp beds in a corner of the barn. Look, said Julian, if you really would rather sleep here alone, we'll sleep in the little room off the dairy that your mother spoke of. Before the twins could answer, a shrill barking came from the direction of the camp beds, and the boys saw a tiny black poodle there standing up, quivering in every hair. What a tiny thing, said Julian. Is he yours? What's his name? Snippet, came the answer from both at once. Come here, Snippet. At once, the tiny black poodle hurled himself off the camp bed and raced over to them. He fawned on them all, barking in delight, licking everyone in turn. Dick picked him up, but the twins at once clutched Snippet themselves. He's our dog, they said so fiercely that Dick backed away. All right, all right, you can have him. But be careful Tim doesn't eat him, he said. A look of fear came over the faces of the Harrys, and they turned to one another, anxiously. It's all right, said Julian hastily. Tim's gentle with small things. You needn't be afraid. I say, why do you have to be so dumb? It really wouldn't hurt you to be a bit friendly. And do let us sleep in your old room. We really don't mind. The twins looked at each other again, as if reading one another's thoughts. And then they turned gravely to the boys, not looking quite so unfriendly. We will all sleep here, they said. We will fetch the other camp beds. And off they marched, Snippet running excitedly at their heels. Julian scratched his head. Those twins make me feel peculiar, he said. I don't feel they're quite real. The way they act and speak together makes me feel as if they're puppets or something. They're just jolly rude and unfriendly, said Dick bluntly. Oh, well, 
They won't get in our way much. I vote we explore the farm tomorrow. It looks quite a big one. Spreading out over the hill slopes everywhere. I wonder if we could get a ride on a tractor. At that moment, a bell rang loudly from the direction of the house. What's that for, said Dick? Tea, I hope. The twins came back at that moment with two more camp beds, which they proceeded to set up as far from their own as possible. Dick went to give a hand, but they waved him off and put up the beds most efficiently and quickly by themselves. Tea is ready, they said, standing up when the beds were finished, and blankets and pillows set out on them. We will show you where to wash. Thanks, said Dick and Julian together, and then grinned at one another. Better be careful, said Julian, or we'll catch their habit of speaking exactly at the same moment. I say, isn't that poodle funny? Look at him stalking that jackdaw. A black jackdaw, the nape of his neck showing grey as he ran in front of Snippet, had flown down from somewhere in the roof of the barn. As Snippet danced after him, he ran behind sacks, scurried into corners, and led the little dog such a dance that the two boys roared. Even the twins smiled. Jack, said the jackdaw, and rose into the air. He settled himself on the middle of the poodle's back, and Snippet promptly went mad and tore about the barn at top speed. Roll over, Snippet, shouted the Harrys, and Snippet at once flung himself on his back. But the jackdaw, with a triumphant chack, rose at once into the air and alighted on one twin's head. I say, is he tame, said Dick. What's his name? Nosy. He's ours. He fell down a chimney and broke his wing, said the twins, so we kept him till it was well, and now he won't leave us. Gosh, said Dick, staring at them. Did you really say all that? Or was it the jackdaw? You can talk properly, after all. Nosy pecked at the twin's ear nearest to him, and the twin gave a yell. Stop it, Nosy! The jackdaw rose into the air with a chack, chack, chack that sounded very like a laugh and disappeared somewhere in the roof. Just then, the two girls came to find the boys in the barn, sent by Mrs Philpot, who was sure they hadn't heard the bell. Timmy was with them, of course, sniffing into every corner, enjoying the farm smells everywhere. They came to the barn and looked in. Oh, there you are, called Anne. Mrs Philpot said we... Timmy began to bark and she stopped. He had caught sight of Snippet sniffing behind the sacks, still hunting for the cheeky jackdaw. He stood still and stared. What in the wide world was that funny little black creature? He gave another loud bark and shot over towards the poodle, who gave a terrified yelp and leapt into the arms of one of the twins. Take your dog away, said both twins fiercely, glaring at the four. It's all right, he won't hurt, Snippet, said George, advancing on Timmy and taking hold of his collar. He really won't. Take your dog away, shouted the twins, and up in the roof somewhere, the jackdaw said, Chack, 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 just as fiercely. All right, all right, said George, glaring as angrily as the twins. Come on, Tim, that poodle wouldn't be more than a mouthful for you anyway. They all went back to the farmhouse in silence. Snippet having been left behind on the camp bed belonging to one of the twins. They cheered up when they came into the big, cool kitchen. Tea was now laid on the farmhouse table, a big, solid affair of old, old oak. Chairs were set round, and it all looked very homelike. Hot scones, said George, lifting the lid of a dish, 
I never thought I'd like hot scones on a summer's day, but these look heavenly, running with butter, just how I like them. The four looked at the homemade buns and biscuits and the great fruit cake. They stared at the dishes of homemade jam and the big plate of ripe plums. Then they looked at Mrs Philpot, sitting behind a very big teapot, pouring out cups of tea. You mustn't spoil us, Mrs Philpot, said Julian, thinking that really his hostess was doing too much. Please don't let us make too much work for you. A loud, commanding voice suddenly made them all jump. Sitting in a big wooden armchair near the window was someone they hadn't seen. A burly old man with a shock of snowy white hair and a luxuriant white beard almost down to his waist. His eyes were startlingly bright as he looked across at them. Too much work? What's that you say? Too much work? Ha! People nowadays don't know what work is, they don't. Grumble, 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 asking for this and expecting that. Pa, pa, I say. Now, now, Grandad, said Mrs. Philpot gently, you just sup your tea and rest. You've been out on the farm all day and it's too much work for you. That set the old man off again. Too much work? Now let me tell you something. When I was a young lad, I... Hello, who's this? It was Timmy. He had been startled by the sudden shouting of the old man and had stood up, his hackles rising and a low growl down in his throat. And then a very curious thing happened. Timmy walked slowly over to the fierce old man, stood by him and laid his head gently on his knee. Everyone stared in astonishment and George could hardly believe her eyes. At first, the old man took no notice. He just let Timmy stay there and went on with his shouting. No one knows anything these days. They don't know a good sheep or a good bull or a good dog. They... Timmy moved his head a little and the old man stopped again. He looked down at Timmy and patted him on the head. Now, here's a dog, a real dog, a dog that could be the best friend any man ever had. Ah, he reminds me of my old true, he does. George was staring in amazement at Timmy. He's never done a thing like that before, she said. All dogs are like that with old Grandad, said Mrs Philpot softly. Don't mind his shouting. He's like that. See, your Timmy is lying down by Grandad. Now they'll both be happy. Grandad will have his tea and be nice and quiet. Don't take any notice of him now. Still astonished, the children ate a marvellous tea and were soon talking eagerly to Mrs Philpot, asking her questions about the farm. Yes, of course you can go on the tractor, and we've an old Land Rover too. You could motor round the farm in that if you like. Wait till my husband comes in, he'll tell you what you can do. Nobody saw a little black shadow come in at the door and sidle softly over to Grandad. Snippet the poodle. He had left the barn and come to the kitchen he loved. It was only when Mrs Philpot turned round to ask the old man to have another cup of tea that she saw a very strange sight indeed. She nudged the twins and they hurried to look. They saw Timmy lying peacefully down on Grandad's big feet and Snippet the Poodle lying between Timmy's great front paws. 
Well, what an astonishing sight to be sure. Grandad's happy now, said Mrs. Philpot. Two dogs at his feet. And now look, here's my husband. Come along in, Trevor. We're all here, the dogs as well. Chapter 4 Junior A big man came into the kitchen, very like the twins to look at. He stooped and seemed tired. He didn't smile, but just nodded. Trevor, here are the visitors I told you about, said Mrs. Philpot. Look, this is Julian, and more visitors, said Trevor with a groan. Good heavens, what a crowd of children. Where's that American boy? I've got a bone to pick with him. He tried to set the tractor going by himself this morning, and, oh, Trevor, never mind about that now. Just wash and come and have your tea, said Mrs. Philpot. I've kept some of your favourite scones for you. Don't want any tea, said her husband. Can't stop, except for just one cup. And that I'll take in the dairy. I've got to go and see to the milking. Bob's off today. We'll help, Dad, said the twins, speaking together as usual, and they got up from the table at once. No, you sit down, said their mother. You've been on the go from seven o'clock this morning. Sit down and finish your tea in peace. I could do with your help, twins, said their father, as he went through the door towards the dairy. But now your mother's got so many on her hands, she'll need you more than I do. Mrs. Philpot, let the twins go if they want to, said Julian at once. We can help, you know. We're used to helping at home. And what's more, we like it, said Anne. Do let us, Mrs. Philpot. We'll feel much more at home then. Can't we clear away and wash up and all that while the twins go and help with the milking? You let them help! shouted old great-grandad suddenly from his corner, making Timmy and Snippet leap to their feet, startled. What are children coming to nowadays, weighted on hand and foot? Pah! Now, now, grandad, said poor Mrs. Philpot. Don't you start worrying. We can manage fine. The old man made a loud, explosive noise and banged his hand down on the arm of his chair. What I say is this! But he got no further for the sound of footsteps could be heard in the hall, coming towards the kitchen, and loud American voices came nearer and nearer. See here, Pop, I want to come with you. This place is dead. You take me up to London with you. Oh, Pop, go on, do. That the Americans, asked Dick, turning to the twins. Their faces had gone as black as thunder. They nodded. In came a burly man, looking rather odd, in smart town clothes, and a fat, pasty-faced boy of about eleven. The father stood at the door and looked round, rubbing his hands. Hiya, folks. We've been over to that swell old town and picked up some fine souvenirs. My, my, they were cheap as dirt. We late for tea? Hello, who are all these folks? He grinned round at Julian and the others. Julian stood up politely. We're four cousins, he said. We've come to stay here. Stay here? Where are you going to sleep then? demanded the boy, pulling up a chair to the table. This is a one-eyed place, ain't it, Pop? Shut up, said the twins together, and gave the boy such a glare that Anne stared in astonishment. Ah, go on, I can say what I like, can't I? said the boy. Free country, isn't it? Gee, you should just see America, that's something. Mrs. Philpot, I'll have a bit of that cake. Looks good to me. Can't you say please? roared a voice from the corner. That was great-granddad, of course, 
but the boy took no notice and merely held out his plate while Mrs. Philpot cut him an enormous slice of cake. "'I'll have the same as Junior, Mrs. Philpot, ma'am,' said the American, and sat down at the table. He held out his plate, too. "'Say, you should see the things we've bought. We've had a day, haven't we, Junior?' "'Sure, Pop,' said Junior. "'Say, can I have an ice drink? "'Look here, who's going to drink hot tea on a day like this?' "'I'll get you some iced lemonade,' said Mrs. Philpot, rising. "'Let him get it himself, little brat!' "'That was Great Grandad again, of course, "'but the twins were already up and on their way to fetch the lemonade themselves. "'George caught sight of their faces as they passed her "'and had a shock of surprise. "'Goodness!' How those twins hated that boy. That old granddaddy of yours must be a bit of a nuisance to you, said the American in a low voice to Mrs. Philpot. Always butting in, isn't he? Rude old fellow, too. Now don't you sit there whispering, shouted Grandad. I can hear every word. Now, now, Grandad, don't upset yourself, said poor Mrs. Philpot. You just sit there and have a nap. No. I'm going out again, said Great Grandad, heaving himself up. There's some people here that fair make me ill. And out he went, leaning on his stick, a magnificent figure with his head of snow-white hair and his long beard. Like someone out of the Old Testament, said Anne to Dick. Timmy got up and followed the old man to the door with Snippet close behind him. Junior saw Timmy at once. Hey, look at that big dog, he said. Who's he? I've not seen him before. Hey, you, come and have a bun. Timmy took not the slightest notice. George addressed Junior in an icy voice. That's my dog, Timmy. I don't allow anyone to feed him except me. Shucks, said Junior, and threw the cake down on the floor so that it slid to Tim's feet. That's for you, dog. Timmy looked down at the cake and stood perfectly still. Then he looked at George. Come here, Timmy, said George, and he walked straight to her. The cake lay on the floor, half broken into crumbs. My dog is not going to eat that, said George. Better pick it up, hadn't you? It's made a bit of a mess on the floor. Pick it up yourself, said Junior, helping himself to another bun. Gee, what a glare you've got. Makes me want my sunglasses. Brother! He gave George a sudden, sharp dig in the ribs, and she gasped. Timmy was beside her in a moment, growling so deeply that Junior slid out of his seat in alarm. Say, Pop, this dog's fierce, he said. He tried to bite me. He did not, said George. But he might bite you if you don't do what I said and pick up that bun. Now, now, said Mrs. Philpot, really distressed. Leave it. It can be swept up afterwards. Will you have another piece of cake, Mr. Henning? It really was an embarrassing meal, and Anne longed for it to be over. Junior quietened down considerably when he saw Timmy lying down between his chair and George's. But his father made up for that by talking non-stop about the wonderful things he had bought that day. Everybody was extremely bored. The twins came back with a jug of orangeade, which they placed on the table with two glasses in case Mr Henning wanted some. They then disappeared. Where have they gone? demanded Junior, having poured a glass of orangeade straight down his throat in a most remarkable manner. Gee, that was good. 
The twins have gone to help with the milking, I expect, said Mrs. Philpot, looking suddenly very weary. Julian looked at her. She must find these meals very tiring, he thought, coping with so many people. Junior piped up at once. I'll go and help with the milking, he said, and slid off his chair. I'd rather you didn't, Junior, said Mrs. Philpot. You upset the cows a bit last time, you know. Aw, oh, gee, that was because I was new to it, said Junior. Julian looked at Mr. Henning, expecting him to forbid Junior to go, but he said nothing. He lit a cigarette and threw the match down on the floor. George scowled when she saw Junior heading for the door. How dare he go out to the milking against the wishes of his hostess? She murmured a few words to Timmy, and he got up at once and ran to the door, barring it against Junior. Get out of my way, you, said Junior, stopping. Timmy growled. Say, call him back, will you? said Junior, turning round. No one said anything. Mrs. Philpot rose and began to gather things together. It seemed to George as if she had tears in her eyes. No wonder if this kind of thing happened every day. As Timmy stood like a statue in the doorway, giving small, threatening growls every now and again, Junior decided to give up. He dearly longed to give the dog a kick, but didn't dare to. He walked back to his father. Say, Pop, coming for a walk, he said. Let's get out of here. Without a word, father and son walked out of the other door. Everyone heaved a sigh of relief. You go and sit down and have a rest, Mrs. Philpot, said Anne. We'll do the washing up. We'd love to. Well, it's really kind of you, said Mrs. Philpot. I've been on the go all day, and twenty minutes rest will do me good. I'm afraid Junior gets on my nerves. I do hope Timmy won't bite him. He'll give him a nip before long, said George cheerfully, collecting cups and saucers with Anne. What are you boys going to do? Go to the milking shed? Yes, we've milked cows plenty of times, said Dick. Nice job. I like the smell of cows. See you later, girls. And if that little pest tries any tricks, just give us a call. I'd love to rub his face into that crummy mess on the floor. I'm just going to sweep it up, said Anne. See you at supper time. The boys went out whistling. Mrs. Philpot had disappeared. Only George, Anne and Timmy were left, for Snippet had gone out with the Harrys. I rather wish we hadn't come, said George, carrying out a tray to the scullery. It's an awful lot for Mrs. Philpot to do. Still, if she needs the money... Oh, well, we can help, and we'll be out most of the day, said Anne. We shan't see much of Junior, little beast. You're wrong, Anne. You'll see far too much of him. And it's a good thing Timmy's there. He's the only one that can manage people like Junior. Chapter 5 Evening at the Farm George and Anne went out to find the others in the milking shed. There were plenty of cows there swishing their tails. The milking was almost finished, and the twins were driving some of the cows back to the field. Hello! How did you get on? asked Anne. Fine, it was fun, said Dick. My cows did better than Julian's, though. I sang to them all the time, and they loved it. Silly, said George. Did you have a talk with the farmer? Yes, he says he's got an old Land Rover, and he'll take us all over the farm tomorrow, said Dick, pleased. And we can ride on that tractor if Bill, that's one of his farmhands, will let us. He says Bill won't have Junior on the tractor at any price, so maybe there'll be a row if he sees us on it. 
Well, I'm all ready for a row, and so is Timmy, said George grimly. Sooner or later, I'm going to tell Junior a few home truths. We'd all like to do that, said Julian, but let's hold our horses till a good moment comes. I don't want that nice Mrs Philpot upset. And, you know, if we cause her to lose the two Americans, she might suffer badly in her pocket. I bet they pay well. Well, I understand all that too, Jew, said George, but Timmy doesn't. He's longing to have a go at Junior. And how I share that feeling, said Dick, rubbing Timmy's big head. What's the time? Shall we go for a walk? No, said Julian. My legs feel stiff with cycling up so many Dorset hills today. I vote we just stroll around a bit, not go for miles. The five set off together, wandering round the farm buildings. They were all very old, some of them falling to pieces. The roofs had great Dorset tiles made of stone, uneven and roughly shaped. They were a lovely grey and were brilliant with lichen and moss. Aren't they gorgeous, said George, stopping to look at the tiles on a small outhouse. Look at that lichen. Did you ever see such a brilliant orange? But what a pity. Half of them have gone from this roof and someone has replaced them with horrid new tiles. Maybe the Philpot sold them, said Julian. Old tiles like that, brilliant with lichen, can fetch quite a bit of money, especially from Americans. There's many a barn out in America covered with old tiles from this country, moss and all. A bit of old England. If I had a lovely old place like this, I wouldn't sell one single tile or one single bit of moss, said George quite fiercely. Maybe you wouldn't, said Dick, but some would if they loved their farm enough and didn't want to see it go to pieces for lack of money. Their fields would be worth more than old tiles to them. I bet old Grandad wouldn't sell them if he could help it, said Anne. I wonder if the American has tried to buy any of these tiles. I guess he has. They had an interesting time wandering round. They found one old barn-like shed stacked with ancient castaway junk and Julian rummaged in it with great interest. Look at this giant cartwheel, he said, peering into a dark corner. It's almost as tall as I am. My word, they must have made all their own wheels here in the old days, in this very shed, perhaps, and maybe their own tools, too. Look at this old tool. What in the world is it? They gazed at the curious curved tool, still as strong and good as it had been two or three centuries before. It was heavy, and Julian thought that he wouldn't have liked to use it for more than ten minutes at a time. But I bet old Grandad could use it for a whole day and never get tired, he said. When he was a young man, I mean, he must have been as strong as an ox then. Well, you remember what the girl at the dairy said, put in Anne. She said he once fought a bull and knocked it out. We must ask him about that. I bet he'd love to tell us. He's a real old character, said Julian. I like him, shouts and temper and all. Come on, it's getting latish. We didn't ask about the evening meal. I wonder what time we ought to get back for it. Half past seven, said George, I asked. We'd better go back now because we'll have to get ourselves clean and Anne and I want to help lay the table. Right, back we go, said Julian. Come on, Tim, stop sniffing about that old rubbish. Surely you can't smell anything exciting there. They went back to the farmhouse and the girls went to wash at the kitchen sink, seeing Mrs Philpot already preparing for supper. Won't be a minute, called Anne. We'll do those potatoes for you, Mrs Philpot. I say, what a lovely farm this is. We've been exploring those old sheds. Yes, they need clearing out, said Mrs Philpot, 
who looked better for the rest she had had. But old great-grandad, he won't have them touched. Says he promised his grandad not to let them go to anyone. But we did sell some of those lovely old grey tiles once, to an American, of course, a friend of Mr. Henning's, and grandad almost went out of his mind, shouted day and night, poor old chap, and went about with a pitchfork in his hand all the time, daring any stranger even so much as to walk over the fields. We had such a time with him. Good gracious, said Anne, having a sudden vision of the grand old man stalking about his fields, shouting and waving a great pitchfork. Supper was really a very pleasant meal, for Mr. Henning and Junior didn't come in. There was much talk and laughter at the table, though the twins, as usual, said hardly anything. They puzzled Anne. Why should they be so unfriendly? She smiled at them once or twice, but each time they turned their eyes away. Snippet lay at their feet, and Timmy lay under the table. Great-grandad was not there, nor was Mr. Philpot. They're both making the best of the daylight, said Mrs. Philpot. There's a lot to do on the farm just now. The children enjoyed the meat pie that Mrs. Philpot had baked, and the stewed plums and rich cream that followed. Anne suddenly yawned a very large yawn. <gasps> Sorry, she said. It just came all of a sudden. I don't know why I feel so sleepy. Oh, you've set me off now, said Dick, and put his hand in front of an even larger yawn. Well, I don't wonder we feel sleepy. Jew and I set off at dawn this morning, and I know you girls had a jolly long bus ride. Well, you go to bed, all of you, as early as you like, said Mrs. Philpot. I expect you'll want to be up bright and early in the morning. The Harrys are always up at about six o'clock. They just will not stay in bed. And what time does Junior get up? asked George with a grin. Six o'clock too? Oh, not before nine o'clock usually, said Mrs. Philpot. Mr. Henning comes down about eleven. He likes his breakfast in bed. So does Junior. What? You don't mean to say you take breakfast up to that lazy little pest, said Dick, astounded. Why don't you go and drag him out by the ankles? Well, they are guests and pay well for being here, said Mrs. Philpot. I'll take Junior his breakfast, said George much to everyone's astonishment. Timmy and I together. We'd like to, wouldn't we, Timmy? Timmy made a most peculiar noise from under the table. That sounded like a laugh to me, said Dick. And I'm not surprised. I'd just like to see Junior's face if you and Tim walked in on him with his breakfast. Do you bet me I won't do it, demanded George, really on the defensive now. Yes, I do bet you, said Dick at once. I bet you my new pocket knife you won't. Taken, said George. Mrs. Philpot looked puzzled. No, no, my dear, she said. I can't have one guest waiting on another. Though I must say, those stairs are a trial to my legs when I'm carrying up trays. I'll take up Junior's tray and Mr. Henning's too, if you like, said George, in a half-kind, half-fierce voice. Not Mr. Henning, said Julian giving George a warning look. Don't go too far, old thing. Just Junior's tray will be enough. All right, all right, said George rather sulkily. Aren't Junior and Mr Henning coming in to supper? Not tonight, said Mrs Philpot in a thankful voice. They're dining at some hotel in Dorchester, I think. I expect they get a bit tired of our simple farmhouse meals. I only hope they won't be too late back. Great-grandad likes to lock up early. 
The children were really glad when the evening meal was cleared away and washed up, for they all felt heavy with sleep. The good strong air, the exciting day, and the many jobs they had done had really tired them. Good night, Mrs. Philpot, they said when everything was done. We're off to bed. Are the twins coming too? The twins actually condescended to nod. They looked tired out. Julian wondered where Mr. Philpot and old great grandad were. Still out working, he supposed. He yawned. Well, he was for bed, and even if he had had to sleep on the bare ground that night, he knew he would sleep well. He thought longingly of his camp bed. They went their various ways the twins and Julian and Dick to the big barn, the girls upstairs to the room opposite Junior's. George peeped into it. It was even untidier than before, and obviously Junior must have been eating nuts up there, for the floor was strewn with shells. They were soon in bed, the girls together in the big, rather hard old bed, and the boys in their separate camp beds. Timmy was on George's feet, and Snippet slept first on one twin's feet and then on the other's. He was always perfectly fair in his favours. A crashing noise awoke the girls about two hours later, and they sat upright in bed, alarmed. Timmy began to bark. George crept to the top of the stairs, hearing Grandad's loud voice below, and then crept back to Anne. It's Mr Henning and Junior come back, she said. Apparently old Grandad had locked up, and they crashed and banged on the knocker. My, what a to-do! Here comes Junior! And indeed... Here Junior did come, stamping up the stairs and singing loudly. Little pest, said George. Wait till I take him his breakfast tomorrow. Chapter 6 A Little Excitement for Breakfast It was fun to sleep in the barn. Dick tried to keep awake for a while and enjoy the barn smell and the sight of the stars in the sky seen through the open door where a cool little night breeze came wandering in. Julian fell asleep at once and did not even hear the crashing of the knocker at the front door of the farmhouse when the Hennings came in or the loud voices. He awoke with a start at about one o'clock in the morning and sat straight up in bed, his heart beating fast. What on earth was that noise he had heard? He heard it again and laughed. What an ass I am! It's only an owl, or maybe more than one. And gosh, what was that high little scream? A mouse or a rat? Perhaps the owls are hunting in here. He lay still and listened. He suddenly felt a rush of cool air over his face and stiffened. That must have been an owl's soft feathered wings. Owl's wings made no noise he knew. The feathers were so soft that not even a quick-eared mouse could hear an owl swooping silently down. There came another little high-pitched squeak. The owl's doing his job well, thought Julian. What a fine hunting place for him. A barn where foodstuffs are stored. Overrun with mice and rats, of course. I bet this owl is worth his weight in gold to the farmer. Well, owl, do your job, but for goodness sake, don't mistake my nose for a mouse. Ah, there you go again, just over my head. I saw you then, a shadow passing by. He fell asleep once more and didn't wake until the sun streamed into the barn, lighting up hundreds of tiny moats floating in the air. Julian looked at his watch. Half past seven, and I meant to be up at seven. Dick, wake up! Dick was so sound asleep that he didn't wake even when Julian shook him. 
he merely rolled over and settled down again. Julian glanced across the barn and saw that the twins' camp beds were empty. They had stacked their pillows and bedclothes in neat piles and disappeared silently out of the door. Without waking us, thought Julian, pulling on his socks. I wonder if I can wash at the big kitchen sink. Dick, will you wake up, he said loudly. It might be ten o'clock for all you care. Dick heard the two shouted words and sat up at once, looking aghast. Ten o'clock? Oh, no! Gosh, I must have slept all round the clock. Oh, I say, I didn't mean to be late for breakfast. I... Calm down, grinned Julian, brushing his hair. I only said it might be ten o'clock for all you care. Actually, it's just gone half past seven. Thank goodness for that, said Dick, lying back in bed. Oh, for ten minutes more. The twins have gone already, said Julian. I wonder if the girls are up. Oh, my goodness, what's that? Something had jabbed him sharply in the back, making him jump violently. Julian swung round, expecting it to be Junior or one of the twins playing a silly joke. Oh, it's you, Nosy the Jackdaw, he said, looking at the cheeky bird, now perched on his pillow. You've got a jolly sharp beak. Jack, said the Jackdaw, and flew to his shoulder. Julian felt flattered, until the Jackdaw pecked his ear. Here, you take the bird, he said to the unwary Dick, and handed Nosy to him. Nosy promptly pounced on the watch lying beside Dick's pillow and flew off with it. Dick gave an angry yell. Bring that back, you crazy bird. Don't you know a watch when you see one? He's taken my watch, Jew. Goodness knows where he'll hide it. He's gone into the roof, said Julian. We'd better tell the twins. Perhaps they can deal with him. Now, why doesn't he take Junior's watch? That would be a trick I should really applaud. Chack, 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 said Nosy, exactly as if he agreed. He had had to open his beak to say chack, and the watch promptly fell out. It bounced onto a sack far below, and the bird swooped down to get it. Dick also swooped, and as the watch had now slipped between two sacks, he managed to get it before the jackdaw. Nosy flew up into the roof and chacked angrily. Don't use such bad language, said Dick severely, strapping on his watch. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. They went out of the barn and round the farmhouse. There were sounds of people about, and the two boys felt quite ashamed of being so late. Breakfast was on the table, but already quite a number of people seemed to have had it. The girls haven't had theirs, said Dick, looking at the places set in front of the chairs where George and Anne had sat the night before, but the twins have. It looks as if everyone has, except us four, apparently. Ah, here's Mrs Philpot. Sorry we're late. We overslept, I'm afraid. That's all right, said Mrs Philpot, smiling. I don't expect my visitors to be up early. Anyone can sleep late on a holiday. She held a tray in her hands and set it down on the table. That's for Mr Henning. He'll ring when he wants his breakfast. That's Junior's tray over there. I make the coffee when they ring, she said, and went out again. There was cold ham for breakfast, boiled eggs and fruit. The two boys tucked in and looked round reprovingly when the two girls came, with Timmy behind, still sleepy-eyed. Overslept, I suppose, said Dick, pretending to be shocked. Sit down, I'll pour you some coffee. Where's Junior? Not down yet, I hope, said George anxiously. I haven't forgotten my bet about taking up his breakfast. I say, do you think it's all right to let George take up Junior's breakfast, 
said Julian, after a pause. George, don't throw the tray at him or anything, will you? I might, said George, eating a boiled egg. Anything to get your new pocket knife from you. Well, don't go too far teasing Junior, said Julian warningly. You don't want to make the Henning family walk out and leave Mrs Philpot high and dry. All right, all right, said George. Don't nag. I think I'll have another egg, Dick. Pass one over, please. I don't know why I'm so hungry. Leave a bit of room for this ham, said Dick, who had cut himself two good slices. It's out of this world, simply too good to be true. I could eat it all day. The two girls tucked into their breakfast, and just as they were finishing, a bell rang very loudly in the kitchen, jangling just above their heads. They jumped violently. Mrs Philpot came into the room at once. That's Mr Henning's bell, she said. I must make his coffee. I'll take up his tray, said Anne. George is going to take up Junior's. Oh, no, I really don't like you to do that, said Mrs Philpot, distressed. Just then, another bell rang. It jangled to and fro for a very long time. That's Junior's bell, said Mrs Philpot. He always seems to think I'm quite deaf. Bad-mannered little beast, said Dick, and was pleased to find that Mrs Philpot didn't disagree. Anne waited till Mr Henning's tray was ready, and then firmly put her hands to the sides. I'm going to take it to Mr Henning, she said, in a most determined voice, and Mrs Philpot smiled gratefully and let her lift it. Bedroom on the left of the stairs, first floor, she said, and he likes his curtains pulled too when his breakfast is brought. And does Junior like his pulled as well? inquired George in such a sugary voice that the two boys looked round at her suspiciously. What was she up to now? Well, I do pull them for him, said Mrs Philpot, but don't you pull them if you don't feel like it. Thank you very much, dear. Anne had already gone upstairs with Mr Henning's tray, and now George set off with Junior's. She winked at Dick. Get that pocket knife ready for me, she said, and disappeared through the door, grinning wickedly. She went carefully upstairs with Timmy close at her heels, wondering whatever George was doing with the tray. George came to Junior's door. It was shut. She gave it a violent kick, and it flew open. She entered, clattering with her feet, and set the tray down on a table with a jolt that upset the coffee. She went whistling to the windows and pulled the curtains back across the poles so that they made a loud clattering noise. Junior had apparently fallen asleep again, his head under the clothes. George upset a chair with a crash. That made Junior sit up, half scared. What's going on here? he began. Can't you bring my breakfast without... Then he saw that it was George in the room, not the kindly Mrs Philpot. Get out, he said angrily. Crashing about like that? Pull the curtains across again, the sun's too strong. And look how you've spilled the coffee. Why didn't Mrs Philpot bring my breakfast? She usually does. Here, put the tray on my knees like she does. George whipped the bedclothes off him, took up the tray and set it down violently on his pyjamaed knees. The hot coffee got a violent jerk and some drops fell onto his bare arm. They were hot and he yelled loudly. He lashed out at George and hit her hard on the shoulder. That was a very great mistake. Timmy, who was at the door watching, leapt onto the bed at once, growling. He pulled the terrified boy onto the floor and kept him lying there, standing over him, deep growls coming from the depths of his great body. 
George took absolutely no notice. She went round the room, humming a little tune, putting this and that straight, tidying the dressing table, not seeming to notice what Timmy was doing. She shut the door so that no one would hear Junior's howls. George! Take this dog off me! begged Junior. He'll kill me! George! I'll tell my pop on you! I'm sorry I hit you! Oh, do take this dog off me! Please do! He began to weep and George looked scornfully down at him. You nasty, spoiled little pest, she said. I've a good mind to leave you here all morning with Timmy on guard. But this time, I'll be generous to you. Come here, Tim. Leave that funny little worm there on the floor. Junior was still weeping. He crept into bed and wrapped the blankets round him. I don't want any breakfast, he wept. I'll tell Pop about you. He'll get you all right. Yes, you tell him, said George, tucking him in so tightly that he couldn't move. You tell him, and I'll whisper into Timmy's ear that you've told tales on me. And honestly, I simply don't know what he'll do. You are the most horrible boy I ever met, said Junior, knowing when he was beaten. George grinned. So, he thought she was a boy, did he? Good. Mrs. Philpot isn't going to bring up your breakfast any more, she said. I'm going to, with Timmy, see? And if you dare to ring that bell more than once each morning, you'll be sorry. I don't want my breakfast brought up, said Junior in a small voice. I'd rather get up and go downstairs for it. I don't want you to bring it. Right. I'll tell Mrs. Philpot, said George. But if you change your mind, just tell me. I'll bring it up any morning with Timmy. She went out and banged the door, Timmy trotting down the stairs in front of her, puzzled but pleased. He didn't like Junior any more than George did. George went into the kitchen. Dick and Julian were still there. You've lost your bet, Dick, said George. Pocket knife, please. I not only took up his breakfast and accidentally spilt hot coffee on him, but Timmy here pulled him out of bed and stood over him, growling. What a sight that was. Poor Junior doesn't want his breakfast in bed any more. He's coming down for it each morning. Good for you, George, said Dick, and slid his pocket knife across the table. You deserve to win. Now, sit down and finish your breakfast. And mind, I'm not betting anything else for a long, long time. Chapter 7 the twins change their minds. The twins, Harry and Harriet, had had their breakfast some while ago. They now came into the big kitchen, snippet at their heels, and scowled to see the five still having breakfast there. Anne was in fits of laughter over George's account of the way she dealt with Junior. You should have seen his face when I plonked the breakfast tray on his knees and the hot coffee splashed him, said George, and he let out a yell that startled even old Timmy. And when he hit me and Timmy leapt on the bed and dragged him out onto the floor, his eyes nearly fell out of his head. No wonder he's decided to come down to breakfast each morning then, said Julian. He'll be scared stiff of you appearing with a breakfast tray again. The twins listened to this in amazement. They looked at one another and nodded. Then they walked up to the breakfast table, and for once only one twin spoke. Whether it was Harry or Harriet, nobody knew, for they both looked so much alike. "'What's happened?' said the twin to George. "'Why did you take up Junior's breakfast tray?' "'Because we were all so fed up with the way Junior...' 
and his pop impose on your mother, said George. Fancy a boy having breakfast in bed. So old George took it into her head to take up his breakfast herself, and she said she'd teach him such a lesson he'd be a bit more considerate of your mother in future, said Dick. What's more, I was idiotic enough to bet George she wouldn't do it, and now she's won my best pocket knife off me. Look. George proudly displayed the knife. The twins each gave a sudden loud laugh, which surprised the others very much. Well, said Dick, fancy you being able to laugh. You always look so fierce and unfriendly. Well, now that you've condescended to talk to us, let me tell you this. We think your mother is absolutely tops, and far from giving her more trouble, we're all going to help as much as we can. Got that? Both twins were smiling broadly now. They took it in turns to speak, which was really much more friendly than their usual stiff way of talking in unison. We hate Junior, said one twin. He thinks our mother is a kind of slave, to come when he rings for her or shouts for her. His father's the same, said the other twin, wanting this and that and sending our mother all over the place to fetch and carry for him. Why doesn't he go and stay at a hotel? He doesn't, because he's so set on snooping out our old things and buying them, said the other twin. I know for a fact that mother has sold him some of her own things, but she just had to have some money. Things are so expensive and we grow out of our clothes so quickly. It is nice to hear you talking properly, said Julian, clapping the twin on the back. And now, would you mind letting us know how to tell which of you is which? I know one's a boy and one's a girl, but you both look exactly alike to me. You might be two boys. The twins gave sudden mischievous grins. Well, don't you tell Junior then, said one. You can always tell me by this scar on my hand, see? Harriet hasn't any scar. I'm Harry. The four looked at the long, thin scar on the boy's hand. I got that by tearing the back of my hand on barbed wire, said Harry. Now you'll know us from each other. But tell us all about George and the breakfast tray from beginning to end. Good old George. She looks just as much a boy as Harriet does. It was very pleasant to find the twins so friendly after their stiff, sullen dislike. The four warmed them. And when Mrs. Philpot suddenly appeared in the kitchen to clear away breakfast, she was astounded to see her twins talking and laughing happily with the others. She stood and stared, a delighted smile on her face. Mother, Junior's not going to have breakfast in bed anymore, said Harry. Listen, why? And the story had to be told all over again. George went red. She was afraid that Mrs. Philpot would be displeased. But no, she threw back her head and laughed. Oh, that really does me good, she said. But I hope Junior doesn't tell his father, and they don't both go off in a hurry. We do need their money, you know, much as I hate having them here. Now, I must clear away breakfast. No, you mustn't. That's our job, said Anne, isn't it, twins? Yes, said both twins together. We're all friends now, mother. Let them belong to the family. Well, I'll go and see to the chickens then, if you're going to clear away, said Mrs. Philpot. You can wash up too, bless you. End of disc one.